Welcome to Here We Are, the podcast where we talk about curiosity, fascination, and what makes us delightfully nerdy. I am your nerd for the day, Joy Bork. I don't know if you can have only one nerd, but if you could, today it's me. I don't know about you, but this flavor of nerd theme is really sitting well with me. I'm loving the discoveries and conversations that are happening all along the way, so you know what? I'm going to keep a good thing going. Until the creative wind shift, we're going to nerd out for days. Today, we're going to kick off season four with an amazing look into the world of Doctor Who. As you'll hear more about in our interview, I came in really skeptical about this topic, but I trust Nathan and Marie, and I knew they wouldn't steer me wrong. In the course of this interview, I learned history, felt deeply, and gained a newfound awe for beautiful writing. So without further ado, let's jump into Nathan and Marie Dufour nerding out about Doctor Who. I'm Marie, and I live in Omaha, Nebraska, and I'm a sci-fi nerd. My name is Nathan. I also live in Omaha. (laughs) I am a sci-fi and fantasy fiction nerd. Fantastic. What flavor of nerd do you guys want to talk about today? Doctor Who. Doctor Who. (laughs) Who? Who? Okay, I have seen a very little tiny bit of it. I have my own opinions from that little tiny bit. And this is like that meme table where it's the guy that's just sitting there and says, change my opinion. So for people like me that haven't seen much of it, what do we muggles need to know about the beauty of the world of Doctor Who? Without getting into spoilers, so that we can convince you to watch it. (laughs) Okay, Um, something else you should know about me is I very rarely watch anything, even if people tell me I should. So for me personally, spoilers are not a big deal. They might be for some of my other listeners, but um, this is officially your spoiler alert that there might be spoilers to Doctor Who in this podcast. If you don't like that, don't listen to this episode. Thank you. I feel much safer using spoilers now. Fantastic. Good talk. Oh, what should we tell somebody who doesn't know about Doctor Who? Well, the first thing for me is that the cast is constantly revolving. Even the character known as the Doctor through a in-canon lore process called regeneration, the Doctor is able to change his appearance, not of his own free will, but it allows the producers to change the flavor of the Doctor give or take every three seasons since the reboot, which gives the audience a new take on the Doctor's personality, and it reveals a new aspect of his past and gives them a way to play off of new companion characters and new quirks and new storylines, usually based on the flavor that the actor brings specific to them. Okay. So the little bit that I've seen of Doctor Who seems like there's a decently consistent storyline recipe. So Doctor Who is somewhere, something happens in history, he and his companion go back and interact with that element of history and then save the world and come back. So originally Doctor Who, the, the show, was originally meant to be a, a, a history learning show for kids. Really? So originally, the Doctor would travel, and the very first episode the Doctor of, of Doctor Who Classic, the Doctor travels to the Aztecs, and using story-driven plot, they would teach people about 
what we knew about the Aztecs at the time. So using enemies that are coming and trying to mess with human history, they would teach about different aspects of human history. And it slowly evolved into a sci-fi show that is now more about time traveling and exploring the universe than it is about just specifically specifically learning about history. But you're right. One of the key recipes is the doctor and his companions, usually humans, will travel either to another part of Earth into another time, or they will travel somewhere else in the universe to a human-esque planet, and they will resolve an issue that the doctor is being called to, usually by means of his TARDIS, which is his transportation vessel. Okay, so what's the big deal with the sonic screwdriver? The sonic screwdriver is the tool that the doctor uses to manipulate technology and anything that's not made of wood. Randomly, it doesn't work on wood. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that comes from the original, but it's something that they definitely joke about in the more recent ones. He'll be stuck in a door where he's locked behind this wooden door and he can't get out because- It's his kryptonite. It's his kryptonite. It, it is. And it's, they make jokes about it. It's the joke hilarious. is, it doesn't have a wood setting. I can't affect wood. <laughs> when am I going to fix that? So it, it, it's a way for them to have, to give him a trick to get out of bad situation. He'll point it at a, at a computer and he'll be able to instantly download something or change the program inside the computer. So it's it, a, it kind of just bends matter to his will. Exactly. Basically. It bends technology to his will frequently. Just really- technology? Mostly technology and things made of metal. Okay. So he can't affect a human usually with it, or at, at the very least, it, he doesn't affect humans with it. It's not like he can just, yeah, change someone's brain or bend matter. So like, it's not like a James Bond gadget where he can cut a hole in a piece of glass and jump through it. It is not. Not quite. It's no, mainly it, technology interface. It's a technology interface. It, ma- it matches any technology he runs across usually. It also can sense, I don't know, he'll scan the like scan an area sometimes and it'll tell him if there's somebody who doesn't belong in that time or something like that. So I think it scans things too. It does scan things. He does scan things with it all the time. Fascinating. It is, it's called a sonic screwdriver because it uses sonic like sound waves to mm-hmm. the thing that he's, whatever he does. So whenever he's using it, there's a very distinct trailing noise. Mm-hmm. So he's using the screwdriver and the screwdriver will change with the doctor's appearance. So each doctor has a different form of a screwdriver. And sometimes like Peter Capaldi's doctor will change from an actual screwdriver to sonic glasses. At some point, he will wear a pair of sonic sunglasses instead of a screwdriver because Peter Capaldi, he thinks it's cool, but it will change in appearance based on the doctor. So there's a blue screwdriver, there's a green screwdriver, and each doctor has their own flavor of screwdriver. It remains the same item. So there's an episode where they run a code in the background for hundreds of years because a couple of doctors meet up from multiple different timelines and they all end up in the same place. So you've got three different actors for the doctor, which is fantastic. But technically it's all the same person. It's all the doctor. Right. They're just interacting with that time space continuum differently. But since it's the same screwdriver, they talk to the oldest version of the doctor and they're like, start running this code on your screwdriver. And then since the screwdriver of the latest doctor is 700 years later in that screwdriver's timeline, the code has finished running and they're able to use a new function on the screwdriver that didn't exist previously, where he finally resolves the wood problem, at least for this one. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. You know, use the time-space continuum to your advantage. Exactly. Exactly. As I always 
obviously say. <laughs> okay, when did your storyline in the time space continuum first interact with Doctor Who? So June of 2012 or 13. The, the June that you told me you weren't attracted to me. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, that was 2013. So June of 2013, I was working on our school campus over the summer. I didn't have any friends. And I was talking to Marie and I wanted to date her. And she said, I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm just not attracted like that to you. And so to console myself, I dove at first into the Doctor Who universe and uh, made that most of my evenings. I would work as an audio engineer at my school. I would work 45 to 50 hours a week. And then the rest of the time I was watching Doctor Who. For me, it was maybe a year later. My brother had started watching it because someone recommended it to him. And I kind of, you know, I'd walk past the TV and see it on the TV. And I just thought it was super weird. Time went by and instead of watching it for 10 seconds and going, that's weird, it would be me standing there for a minute five minutes, 10 minutes until eventually I was actually watching the entire episode with my brother and my dad. And so I just ended up really liking it. That's when I got into it. Mm -hmm. What is somebody who is a fan of Doctor Who called? Whovian. Whovian. When did you fully accept the mantle of being a Whovian? When I would cry watching episodes. So there's a storyline with Matt Smith where the entire plot of the Matt Smith arc, the three seasons that he so is there, are my favorite. the most perfectly constructed story I've seen on TV yet. And for three seasons, there's episodes where they're not following the overarching plot, but for three seasons, you've got one continuous plot where the doctor is fighting against a, a group, an entity known as the Silence. But his companion is this redhead Played by Karen, Karen Gillan, Gillen. who also plays in Marvel Universe yeah, as mm-hmm. Nebula, the blue girl. She's mm-hmm. in that. And then she's also in Jumanji. Mm-hmm. So that redhead Scottish actress, she's awesome. So Karen Gillan kind of, this might have been her big break actually, was acting I, I in Doctor know. Who as the Doctor's companion for these three seasons. So in watching that story arc, there's a redhead and I had just gotten rebuffed and rejected by a redhead. And the redhead has a boyfriend that she would leave behind, a blonde boyfriend. I am blonde. Oh man. Uh, I identified a lot with the blonde boyfriend that got left behind all the time. And finally, after about a season of traveling with the doctor, he gets invited to travel with them. There's at one point in the story where he waits for her. She gets imprisoned in a, in a box called Pandora's box. And she is in a suspended animation state while the box attempts to heal her. And he waits for her and guards her box for 2000 years throughout human history. He takes the long way around. The doctor says, I'm going to jump to the end. Come with me. And he says, no, somebody's got to stay and watch over the box. And so he stays and waits for 2000 years. And I was still head over heels in love with Marie, even though she had rebuffed me. And so I figured I'm going to wait and I'm just going to see what happens over time. And I felt and identified way too much with Rory, the, the Roman centurion who waited for 2000 years. And that's when I was, I knew I was hooked. I knew I was a Hoovian at that point because I was in tears during the, those episodes. And then during the goodbye episode, when the doctor sees Rory and Amy for the very last time. And he has to say goodbye to them. And he knows he's saying goodbye to them for the last time. 
even to this day, I've seen it three or four times now, and I'm just in tears. I'm a mess every time. And I'm looking at Maria, I'm like, oh, this is not okay. Every time, even now talking about it, I start feeling those same emotions again. I, I love that. Like, it's so interesting, the time period of your life that Doctor Who came in and how much this is one of those like art imitates life, mm-hmm. life imitates art type moments where that was actually the friend you needed in that moment and helped put what you were feeling into a different medium. And it sounds like it actually helped you feel your feelings. It did. It did. That's amazing. I love it. Very Dude. Yeah. Okay. So that a season story ends. What happens then? Does Marie say yes? Marie don't say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that um, is it was because Marie started watching Doctor Who. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. When Marie yeah. started watching Doctor Who, we understood each other yeah. so much better. <laughs> okay, okay. So should this should I put an asterisk in then that this is not official relational advice? But <laughs> absolutely. Could absolutely. work. Yeah. Try <laughs> it at your own risk. <laughs> okay, so you meet up with another Whovian, what is the first thing Whovians usually end up talking about? Like their favorite doctor? Favorite doctor. Yeah. Yes. Who, who is your favorite doctor? Yeah. A okay. lot of people's favorite doctor is the one played by David Tennant. And most of the time you're talking about the the reboot, not necessarily the classics. I'm sure there are Whovians who have watched literally all of them, but a lot of like common Whovians nowadays have only seen the reboot, including myself. So the reboot is what time period? What years were they made? They're still being made. 2005 is when that started. Christopher Eccleston played the doctor for one season in 2005. And then it was David Tennant for three, I believe. And then it was Matt Smith. For three. For three. Then it was Peter Capaldi. For three. Now it's Jodie Whittaker, and they're about to start a new one. So a lot of times people's favorite are either David Tennant or Matt Smith. My favorite is Matt Smith, but David Tennant is a common favorite. And he is a great actor. He's brilliant. So he's definitely my second favorite. The reason that Matt Smith is my top favorite is probably because of his travels with Amy and Rory, who are just mm. my favorite companions of all time. That makes sense. Yeah, I think I started watching at the beginning of the reboot. Mm-hmm. And I watched quite a few and I was like, this is repetitive. Mm-hmm. Like I can predict what's about to happen. I'm not yeah. super engaged anymore. Is that because of that doctor and companion during the first season they were still trying to find their paces Mm. and it was very much flavor of the week kind of like a detective show or a crime show at the beginning it was very much monster of the week yeah i don't know if you've seen supernatural but at the the beginning of supernatural it's very much monster of the week and then they get into storylines like two or three seasons in Mm. doctor who is similar where you can tell there's an overarching storyline and that they're thinking about it, but they're not very fast at progressing it forward during the first season. That makes sense. And it really picks up in the second season. Okay. And for Eccleston was more of a stage actor, so his style of acting, people didn't necessarily click with as much. And that may be why it only really lasted for a season. Yeah, like I remember watching an episode about like they saved Christmas at one point and... With the, the Santa Claus who have uh, tuba weapons. Yeah, it just got to a point where I was like, I want to engage in this because at that point I worked at a church and I had a lot of volunteers who were super into it. So I was like, I'm going to give this a try. 
So maybe I can communicate with them better. But then I was like, I am bored. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is not an uncommon feeling about the first season. And a lot of people who are trying to get their friends into it will recommend skipping the first season altogether and coming back to it after you're done with the second season. Interesting. Kind of like Parks and Rec. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. At that point, at least you're a little bit more invested in the storyline and the companion of the doctor at the time. She sticks around from the first season into the second season. And she's pretty significant in the doctor's history. So if you watch the second season of the reboot first, then you already kind of like like her and know her so that it's easier to watch the first season and to get through that. Yeah. I, it was a long time ago that I watched it, but the companion, wasn't her name Rose? Yeah. yeah. Rose Tyler. She just felt whiny to me. And yeah. I was like, why do I like you? I'm not sure if I'm supposed to root for you or... A lot of people love her, but Nathan does not like her at all. Mm -hmm. I think I, I, I love her because, spoiler alert, the doctor falls in love with her and sort of they're kind of together in the end but kind of not it's confusing well it's complicated if he lives forever well he doesn't live forever but he does live a long time yes but yeah so i like her only because i know that the doctor loves her and i love the doctor but i can understand why some people would be annoyed with her she does have a very particular person. yeah okay okay so marie nathan told me how he got hooked do you remember like an episode that you got hooked with I couldn't tell you what specific episode, but it probably was with Matt Smith when he was traveling with Rory and Amy. Um, okay. Because the, the emotions are so strong when you're watching those and the writing is just brilliant. And there's just so much like twists and turns that you're not expecting. It's very different from the first season. Of okay. The, oh, okay. What's gonna happen. It's very much like, I don't, I don't need, I have to watch the next one. What's going to happen? Okay. So probably sometime in that timeline with the silence, mm -hmm. that enemy that he was fighting at the time. And just a lot of timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly is what he calls it. <laughs> I would like to add something about that. The doctor is technically married, but him and his wife's life are taking place in the reverse direction from each other. So hear me out on this one. And this is this is one of the reasons why it's complicated, but I really love it. It's so how they thought of it. I the, don't even... the, the writer who was the, the driving brain behind that entire story arc and those three wonderful seasons is Stephen Moffat. It's, and that entire series is called the, the Moffat era of just brilliant writing. Just he is brilliant. Fantastic. So the first episode where the doctor meets the character that we now know as River Song, his wife, is the last time that that character will ever see the doctor. Because their life works in reverse from each other. So when he first sees her, he doesn't know who she is. And she realizes that he has no clue who she is. So it's the last time that she'll ever see him in her life. They both time travel. So it gets really wonky. And so... It's not a, this is always how it is, but a lot of the times when they meet each other, she knows him better and he knows her less. Because so they're interesting. different points of the, of the timeline. So as they get to know each other, she has to watch him little bit by little bit, quote, forget who she is because he is becoming younger and younger for her. So there's less and less shared memories and they have a journal that they look at that where they can try to coordinate where they're at in each other's timelines. And the more he goes along, 
the less she remembers him. Oh. It's so heart-wrenching when you finally realize it and you rewatch it and you can see the actresses, like she portrays the pain so well in her eyes because she knows it's the last time she's going to see him and he has no clue who she is, but she's been living her whole life with him, time traveling backwards from each other and he doesn't know her and it's her last day, quote, alive. She knows she's about to die or see him for the last time and he doesn't know who she is, so he can't bring that comfort. It's just heart wrenching. I feel so like, good. I feel like this is the ep- like the episode of Parks and Rec where the TV's down and Andy is like acting all of his favorite movies out for everybody. And I feel like I'm Donna in this moment. I just want to cry. I don't need to I, go see Babe. I just, I just saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex Kingston is the name of the actress who plays River Song, but she, she's excellent. And so good. Speaking of that whole timeline thing one episode that really hit me was when we as the audience see them kiss for the first time she she's already known him and she's been married to him so she just goes in for the kiss and he's whoa whoa and you can tell it's the first time that they've ever kissed for him and she realizes that and she turns away from him like you can read it on her face that she's like if this is the first time for him that i've ever kissed him that means it's the last time i will ever kiss uh, I feel like crying like right now. Oh, it's so intense. It's I so feel good. so many things. Yeah. I haven't even invested in these characters. It's so crazy. Okay. Okay. So okay. yeah, Stephen Moffat was the, the writer for that. And for reference, he also wrote Sherlock, the one with mm. Benedict Cumberbatch, which is known for its brilliant yeah. writing. If anybody uh, listening has watched Sherlock and recognizes the beauty of that whole that writing theme, that's kind of the same feel. It's not as dark as Sherlock, but it's the same feel as far as like writing and twists and turns in, Fascinating. The, in the Matt Smith era of the Doctor. So was you it all downhill so, after things that? Things so far in advance and you're like, how did he even think about this, plan for this? It's crazy. Nathan really likes the Peter Capaldi doctor who comes after Matt Smith. I think Stephen Moffat was, was he still writing for a little bit? No, For a little bit, but he stepped down because the pacing and the difficulty of writing at that level was too much to keep continuing. So he bowed out after he left his handprint on the, on the show. He said, this is it for me. And he bowed out of it. So I would say it is different. We haven't watched any of the Jodie Whittaker stuff. I've heard from some people that it's really good. And I've heard from others that the writing was not great. And we're re-watching Doctor Who right now. So we're in the Peter Capaldi part. We haven't gotten to Jodie Whittaker yet, but we'll see. I think the Peter Capaldi stuff is good. It's just not as brilliantly written as the Moffat era. Fascinating. I I love Peter Capaldi as the Doctor. And I love his version of the Doctor the most. He's my favorite Doctor. But the storyline is not as... Twist and turn. Twist and turn and wondering what the next thing is going to be and how the heck are they going to get out of whatever predicament they've worked themselves into and surprises that you could never have thought of beforehand as the Matt Smith era was just because of Moffat's writing. Mm. Good, but not for the same reasons. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. Okay. Really cool things like recently with trying to be more inclusive with their show. For a long time, it was like the doctor was an old white man for a while. And then yep. the reboot, he's a white man until 
Jody, Jody Whitaker. Whitaker. She was the first female doctor, which was a huge win for the community because everyone was talking about how like how it's come finally it, inclusive. How come it's never a woman? Yeah. Um, and then and there is precedent in the show for female time lords whose gender doesn't stay consistent throughout their lifespans. So it, there was no reason for them not to do it. So there wasn't yeah, there yeah. wasn't anything in the canon that said that they couldn't change gender or change ethnicity. That's one thing I'm hoping to see with the next doctor is that maybe they'll pick someone who's not white. So fascinating. One of Peter Capaldi's companions is a lesbian black woman, which is really cool. So I'm like, they're finally picking people who are not just your typical white mm-hmm. woman who is usually his companion. So that's awesome. A, a black companion as well in um, Martha Jones for Martha Jones, but she wasn't there for very long. No, she was there for two seasons, and then she was a reoccurring character, but not a companion. Mm. Yeah. So it's Mm. cool to see how they've been starting to think through that and maybe be a little more inclusive in their casting. Okay, last question. What do you wish people knew about Doctor Who? It's worth watching through the first season to get to the rest of it because it's so good. Okay. But we've said that earlier. Yeah, I feel like the emotional investment of paying attention and actually watching and getting yourself in love with the character is absolutely worth the journey. Mm. Well, thanks for telling me all about it. You did officially changed my opinion so I'm proud of you (laughs) so here we are I just learned so much about a world that I had only taken a cursory glance at before I so appreciate Nathan and Marie's storytelling abilities and how that came through as we talked and how much I felt along the way I so love amazing storytelling, character development, and maybe even a little character conflict here and there. And they changed my mind. Maybe one of these days, if and when I decide to watch things more, I'll dive into Doctor Who. And I hope you will, too. And I'm really proud of myself because that rhymed. Today's episode is made possible by so many of my people. Thanks to Lisa for the logo and to Nathan and Marie for lending me your nerd for a little bit. All right, gotta know, what's one of your flavors of nerd? How does it show up in your life? This is the part of the show where I ask you to email me at herewearethepodcast at gmail.com and tell me about how you nerd out. And if you want to just talk to me on Facebook or Instagram, you can do that too. Check out Here We Are on both of those pages. If you're looking to go one step further and financially support what I'm doing with the podcast, head on over to patreon.com, search for Here We Are, the podcast, and sign up for one of the many quirky support tiers, which really you should just go there to read what I wrote because I'm really proud of what I wrote. And no one has taken the top of the line spot yet of being holy guacamole. Someday, somebody will be holy guacamole. And I wait eagerly for that day. Maybe it's you, maybe it's not. But until next time, don't forget that curiosity wins and the world needs more nerds. Bye.